Episode 6, Coys R Us Podcast. We are back in the place to be. The whole gang's here, Joel, Ben, Jesse, and Kim. And we're coming back after an interesting draw at Anfield, which was surprising in a lot of ways. Um, but we got a point. We stole a point away from Liverpool, which is good and bad in some ways. Um, probably feeling a little bit better about this draw before um, Arsenal beat the breaks off Leeds, but we can recap the the Arsenal, uh, sorry, the, the Liverpool match. Um, there was a lot to take away from this game. Jesse, I'll start with you. What 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 stood out from from Saturday's match? Yeah, I think uh, I always take a point um, at all top six or, or whatever you want to call them clubs, and I absolutely always take a point at Anfield, but. Obviously, the Spurs have gotten bodied by Chelsea of late, um, but they've had Man City at least once a year. They've done well against United outside of this year. Like Spurs have done well against other, you know, quote unquote, big clubs, except for Liverpool. Um, I think, you know, basically since I've been a fan, I, I can remember one time when Spurs beat them and I was at a conference and wasn't able to watch. It was 4-1. It was in October uh, 2017. Other than that, Spurs have just gotten bodied by Liverpool left and right, it feels like. So I especially be happy with the, with the draw there. Obviously, circumstances, that means we lose our, you know, control of our own destiny and that kind of thing, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, but absolutely had chances to win it. I don't know what Pierre was thinking there in the 92nd or whatever, bouncing it back into the, into the box. Um, there was definitely some chances that we, we didn't really give anything that was that clear away. Uh, I saw a stat that it was the Liverpool's um, uh, fewest XG four, except I think one of the city games, maybe. Um, so, you know, to, to stop such an, a, a seasoned, well-coached, well, you know, uh, well-run and deep attack was, was impressive. So um, to say we could have had, had more, you know, on offense would have been great. Absolutely could have taken the point and it wouldn't have been stolen. Um, but impressive result. Impressive. I think, again, Davies was was the guys were flying like Davies was flying that 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 Romero freaking like he had a great move. block in the box that one that one Davis had. Yeah, I mean, it was there was a lot of stuff that that I liked. Um, and uh, and the defense again, like, I, you know, it was one thing to be like, well, you know, I, I think when I was trying to be all, all happy about um, uh, the defense, when we um, uh, uh, went lost draw against uh, Brighton and Brentford. The one thing was we only gave up one of those goals and it was in the dying moments of the game. Like the defense, it's one thing for us to stop Brighton and, and Brentford and those kind of attacks, but just to, to keep Liverpool to one goal and it was off of a deflection. Um, I'm really, really encouraged, especially how badly we were shipping goals at different points last year. Um, and this year, I think Conte has really, really figured out the, uh, the defense, not that we don't need reinforcements there, but the defense is, is still really impressive. I'm happy with the point Liverpool um, pretty much all the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely my biggest takeaway from the match, um, which I watched with DC Spurs as always. Um, but, you know, I was pretty uh, loaded up on um, tequilas and Carlsberg. So I decided to watch the match again uh, over the weekend just to make sure. What I a combination. Everything. Yeah, yeah. It's a winning combo. Uh, you know, the Carlsberg was there because. DC Spurs offers a great discount for Carlsberg. So, you know, I, I get those every, every time, but then the tequila was, was for myself to calm my nerves. And I will also say, you know, I ordered a tequila right before our goal. So then I figured, of course, 
they scored because of my order. So then I, you know, ordered yeah, a few more. Them at that point. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So what um, are you going to do? It makes complete sense for sure. Didn't yeah, quite I mean, work. I, uh, you know, it's hard, obviously, not to be pretty, pretty happy with the result in the end, because like you guys were saying, you don't can't really expect even one point away at Anfield. Um, it makes it even more disappointing. Obviously, the Brentford and Brighton ones hard not to look back at those, especially that extra point that we lost to uh, Brighton right at the right at the end of the game. Because I mean, we would still have destiny in our own hands because of our goal differential against Arsenal right now. Um, so I believe what it's four points right now, but it obviously would have been three without that. Um, yeah, I mean, again, it was it's not the most fun to watch Spurs in this mode against a bigger team because we're not in this position. This is why I didn't choose, you know, choose uh, Stoke or Burnley when I was picking a team that just has to defend deep for, you know, that much of a match, especially during the second half. It was not the most fun to watch. And then again, the deflection was unlucky, but at the same time, man, our defense looked so good. They were just so fast to the ball. Um, our, our counter could have been more incisive and I think we could have really, snatch something like you said I don't know what Hoybier was thinking at the end of the game like that was just I I can't get over that whether it's decision making or execution or both that was uh man that would have been so great right at the end of the game um and the irony of that is that he had actually one of the better chances earlier yeah, than when he hit, when the, he hit post. the post yeah that was so I mean that like was he, actually not a horrible strike either because because when I saw him I'm like oh and then he hits gets that close I'm like, yeah but definitely um, definitely yeah. same reaction because the yeah, same thing with Bencore had that early, early shot that went right to the keeper's gut. Sorry, go I ahead, actually kid. think on that on that save, I think that was actually a save by Allison. I think it was like a fingertip, very similar to the one Hugo had. So um, was it? Yeah. Yeah. From what I from what I remember on that, it was it was like it was his fingertip that made it hit the post. So like, it was a really really good strike, honestly. And I think we're just kind of unlucky in some ways and they might've Liverpool might've felt the same yeah. way that they, I think it's a fair draw ways. in the end. It's a fair draw in the end. Obviously you want to, you want to take the extra points and very well could have, especially with that last opportunity, but man, we were just under it for about 30 minutes in that second half. So I, I just kept telling people around me cause I, I ended up uh, in uh, the, I guess fortunate position at this time to uh, be watching this at a Liverpool bar surrounded by almost all Liverpool fans obviously everybody's kind of bummed out, but they still think that they're going to pull through the whole time. They just have so much faith in their team, which I can't blame them. I mean, I was, I'm like, you guys are going to score any minute here with the way this is going. There's no way that we can just be unable to get out of our own third or especially out of our own half for, I mean, literally there had to have been a 10, 10 to 15 minute spell where we got it out like once or twice. Um, so overall, like you said, it's hard to feel hard done by, but I just wish we had gotten more. I mean, but let's talk about that defense, though. I mean, that, was that the best defensive effort we'd had all year? I think so. It's got to be, right? Yeah, either that yeah. or City earlier, yeah. I mean, you're, you're playing Liverpool at Anfield. Oh, that City first match was uh, – that was Nuno's first match. That was <laughs> actually really – But that was a was really, a really good defensive performance. It like, was. Honestly, we were like – That was also early. I think this was better because it was – like, this team's humming. They, they, they've been scoring goals right. at, at – not at – not that they're they're not at the complete peak but they've scored goals all year they've um so this is a you know not mid-season obviously end of season form but 
Um, I think this one was the, the most. Well, they, yeah, they I think this Liverpool attack. team is better than the City team that we beat at the beginning of the season. Especially sure. at the end, they brought on a fourth attacker. I mean, they were just all yeah. Out they were playing like, five. They were like playing five in the box. Um, right, and, they, and, and their crazy. best shot was a, a deflected goal. Other than that block from Hugo, Hugo did not do much this game. I mean, that is it, defense. He had like just two was, saves. He had two saves. He had that one with the fingertips and the one on Salah where Salah was ghosting in um, and the ball came over the top or, or Sess actually headed it back. Um, oh, this is Sess one, yeah. Had to, had that was actually his best one. save was off of the Sess almost own goal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sess was in good – Sess was, positionally this in this game was really, really good. That's the one both thing our full I would backs say. Were actually. Both him uh, – yeah, both yeah. him and Emerson were in great positions. Um, on the wings, the, the forwards helped out really, really well. Um, they were doubling up. So there were times where you saw Bentoncourt on the wing doubling up on um, Salah. You also saw the same with Kulisevsky on the right side with Emerson. And so they just pushed them into channels, made it hard for them. Um, I think yes, Salah uh, was pretty quiet there, right? Yeah, it just felt like we weren't giving them uh, we weren't giving them space. Um, I think they're just really, really well drilled. And that's the one thing that I would say when Jesse was bigging up the defense. To me, I said, I just, I just felt like I needed to see it against a good team. And cause you can always say you get, you have a good defense, but the moment you go up against a Liverpool or a city or even a United and you give up three goals, you're just like, okay, like, uh, is this defense actually good? But it seems like if Conte has the time with the team, then he puts out, you know, they, if they have the time to go over. Uh, how to beat a team or how to um, nullify a team. They seem to really, really be able to do it. And I think, you know, um, we, we talk about how Emerson doesn't give you much in the, in the final third, but defensively he's actually really good. And I say, if all you wanted him to be was an, a right back, if he was just a right back that just occasionally had to run up the wings, he'd be phenomenal actually. But I, I thought like he Taylor played well offensively too though. I I did too. I'm 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 just like, saying he, from a straight. from a he, season, he made very few mistakes. Like he was mad at the match. I was saying that if you're looking at the season, that's not just oh, this okay, match sure. because there were you know he had a cross ball to Cess that was like right on Cess's foot. The ball for the goal to Kane. He took a great. He had a great first touch. Hit it straight to Kane. That thing fell right on his foot. I mean, Kane with his first touch made that a goal. But it's like. Yeah, Emerson did a lot of good things. Yeah, offensively. Good yeah, offensively, it was definitely his best game. I can't even think of anything close to that, to be honest. It's there were still be. a couple times where, you know, I obviously can't expect 100% crossing or anything, but we like something even more. But yeah, I, I can't remember him creating half that, a quarter of those amount of chances uh, earlier in the season at any, during any game. So that one was definitely, I, I still do wonder how he would be. And I know that this is a hypothetical, but. If, um, say, Dyer got hurt again, instead of Sanchez coming in on the right, what if you had him playing that right center back role so that he's doing kind of what Davis is, whereas, you know, he's, he's defending, but he's marauding forward, not quite as much as a wing back would, but as the left and right center backs do. I could see him being good at that position and maybe still at wing back. I'm not going to completely snuff it out, but um, if he could play more like he did the other day, that would be great. I just would like to see him do it where he doesn't, he doesn't always have the room to counter, which is what Liverpool does give you because they're obviously just putting the, the foot on the pedal the whole time. Well, I think one, one thing that like, you know, Emerson probably knows that he's not a, an elite crosser. So it's like, if you're not going to be able to put it right in a, on a platter for somebody, 
then just throw it generally. And as long as you're not hitting the first man, throw it somewhere kind of dangerous. Hope that, you know, that, that enough times that, you know, outside of the most absolutely well-drilled teams, someone's going to make a mistake. Someone, you know, the, the offside trap might not work for somebody. An own goal could happen. Our I was going to say, what, what are we ranked still in RG? Isn't that still like our third top score? Right. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're not going to be great, then just fire him in there, do it early. Well, before people really have a time to, to set up. Cause right. If he's kind of waiting like, Oh, I'm going to try and pick somebody out. Then everybody's got a chance to set, set a little bit, reset their line. So like, Fireman early, I think if you're Emerson, and and again, not that that's going to be as effective as uh, a wing back that can can really put the ball somewhere special. Um, but if you can't, then just throw it somewhere dangerous and see what happens. No, I I agree with that. I've always been a big fan actually of the early ball, just because like you're saying, there's so much nobody's ready for it, and you have defenders running back on their own goal, and and offensive players running at goal, being able to slide into them. So it doesn't have to be the perfect placement. I would say either the early ball. Or just cut it back, and and it would be great to get more actual cutbacks back towards the top of the box or into the box. But even that, just play the safe play. This this whole crossing down the byline with majority when you're not very good at crossing the ball doesn't seem like a great solution. So I'm with you. Get it, get rid of it early. And if you don't, and you don't feel confident taking on a man, either play the safe pass or see if there's a cutback open. Well, while we're talking about wing backs, of course we have to mention that uh, Sessignon is obviously the best defender of Salah in the Premier League. Uh, because he locked him up two two games in a row now. So, obviously, best defender in the world, I think so. Um, while we talk about our history against Liverpool, though, I, I did go back and do some digging and saw that before this year, where we drew twice, um, we had lost to them seven times in a row. And the last time we beat Liverpool was October of 2017. So, uh, the the streak without wins continues, but at least we didn't lose. Um, with that said, I think it's time to revisit the triangle. And for those of you who haven't been listening since the beginning, which I don't know why anybody would not be listening to us from the start, but if you haven't, obviously it's time to go back to episode one. Uh, we talked about the triangle uh, that Tottenham fans go through, which is this never-ending cycle of getting our hopes up, getting disappointed, and starting to believe again. So with that said, Kim... Where are we now on the triangle? Which which side of the triangle do you find yourself in after uh, this game against Liverpool? So I am starting to believe again um, that performance. Like, and when I say starting to believe again, I probably just mean in the team in general. I'm not sure if I think we're going to get top four. Um, I hope Arsenal loses, but it just seems like they seem to like they know what they're doing i think we beat them obviously on thursday but um will they drop points for us to be able to do this but for what we are as a team for where we are i i'm starting to believe again um that defensive performance was honestly very very good i can't say enough about that enough that klopp hated us for it um when you have him complaining well he just does that every time he doesn't win right i mean that's true Literally That's every true. time he doesn't get three points, he goes to the media and complains. He's not the most complainy, but he uh, he's up, he's up there. there. Pep, Pep is more complainy though, isn't he? I mean, I don't fair. know if I agree with that, but I um, don't think Harry I agree Kane with that either. I don't know. He, that was bad, he but he's of... he's given us props lately. I will say that. Yeah, um, he actually kind of complained about us the last time we played them. Um, he was like, Klopp or just Pep? Kicked it as... Klopp. 
he just said we just kicked it as far as as far as possible and son and kane were on their bikes <laughs> that's how we we stayed in that game well you'd think so if he, that's all we did they should have been able to beat us i mean agreed um he Klopp just seems to complain because we don't do what he wants us to do like he wants us to play an open game we know playing an open game against liverpool is dumb and so we don't I, do why, it and then he but gets why would upset. he even think that who plays open against liverpool except for city and a couple of the other giants i mean almost everybody well, gets pinned back by liverpool. in the champions league people tend to play open against liverpool and they lose They've played open a hundred percent a hundred percent a hundred percent i just think that some um, but, of this isn't even necessarily a choice by spurs right like do you think that we chose just to, it didn't feel like we were choosing to defend deep like we did on it we try to play it from the back we try to do stuff like that we just every single time we attempted a pass it was over say 10 yards it would be intercepted immediately but we weren't trying to boot it long we were trying to get out quickly on a counter but they were they were passing it from the back the whole time to the point where i thought it was kind of dangerous almost so yeah 100 yeah I, I feel like it was more liverpool that was pinning us back than spurs choosing to defend that deep this time this is it was not like an earlier jose type uh, performance there well, while we talk about where we are on the triangle, it's important to talk about where we are in the table. Of course, we're now currently in fifth, and with Man United losing, we are now guaranteed to finish no lower than fifth. Um, so there will be European football next year one way or the other. Somehow, Man United's already played 37 matches. I'm not sure how that's possible because no oh, other that was weird has. too. Um, I, I guess typo. I guess they're the only team that didn't have a COVID case this year. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what happened there. But in any event, um, we're now sitting on 62 points, which means if we win all three of our last games, the highest possible total that we can have is 71. Arsenal, meanwhile, is at 66, which means they only need six more points out of their last three matches to finish above Spurs and finalize a Champions League spot. Jesse, I guess I'll start with you. What do you think our, 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 that is a tongue twister. What are our odds of finishing in the top four? Give us a percentage. I mean, great math uh, by you. They need six points to, to do it. I think that, that, you know, it's really if they need six from, um, you know, those, those final two, because if we don't beat them, then it doesn't really matter. Like we can't get a draw. We can't lose to them and have any hope of uh, of, of them collapsing. You know, should yes, we... that's correct. In order so, for us to keep the race alive, we have to win on Thursday. Yeah, I think we have to start with, with that. We're going to assume a win because if we don't win, a, a draw doesn't really do anything for us. A loss definitely doesn't do anything for us. So I'm going to assume a win um, against Arsenal on Thursday. Um, then we've got two matches each left. I think the biggest challenge there is that uh, the match after the North London Derby, we played. 7 a.m. Um, at home versus Burnley on Sunday. They have until Monday at 3 p.m. Obviously, I'm talking Eastern times, um, U.S. Eastern time. They play 3 p.m. Monday, so they've got a full day plus uh, of extra rest, which which is tough because both obviously Arsenal and and Spurs don't have the deepest of squads. They're probably going to be running out pretty similar 11s to um, who plays on Thursday. So assuming that we're gonna gonna beat them on Thursday, at least for argument's sake, I think that they absolutely can drop a point um, uh, in one of those two final games, which again, still requires us to win those final two. Um, but if we don't really win these last three, there's not, not a whole lot to, to think about. Arsenal's gonna, gonna walk it then. So a uh, Newcastle, obviously who's been playing well is the, the best chance for that to, uh, to happen. Anything can happen on, on, um, 
on the last day of the year. There's all of the games are happening at the same time. So you can't, you don't really know what else is going on somewhere else. So you can't really scoreboard watch um, outside of, you know, taking a look at halftime or listening to the crowd's reaction. So yeah, they're going to play um, Everton at, at, at home, you know, when Everton probably looks like they're already going to be secure of safety after the way they've last few games but i feel still optimistic because obviously that's part of my brand as a as a spurs fan a bit of an outlier there but i think we're gonna beat arsenal i think we'll win the next two games um i think the biggest challenge for for arsenal is they they now we're, we're at where we're at um most painfully because of the drop points against brentford and brighton but they've got to drop a point and i'll um i think it's if it's going to happen it's going to happen against newcastle because newcastle's played really well but again, anything can happen on match week 38. Yeah, I mean, luckily, both Newcastle and Everton have played slightly better. Um, I still don't love our chances. I would say I'm a little lower on the triangle. I'm trying to remember around which side. But I, uh, it's not that I don't think that Spurs are playing well. They obviously are. We just, after Arsenal dispatched Chelsea and, and United and then West Ham, that's the uh, strength of schedule that was left went all to them. So it's just tough to play out of that. Um, I will say, Jesse, I know that it was the Kentucky Derby this past weekend, but I think British people might crucify you for pronouncing a North London Derby like that instead of Derby with their uh, favorite pronunciation. Yeah, it's an American pod. You're going to get a little bit of different things. Here I know. Call it a derby, I know. It's, especially it's just one of those weird weeks. ones. I had to bring it up because I remember it being one of the weird things to my ears when I first started hearing their pronunciation. I, so, I did mean to ask, is it pretentious if we say Derby or is it wrong if we say Derby? I don't know. What I guess it's are. the exact same thing as football and soccer. I use them interchangeably. I know some people want to take offense to one or the other. I don't, I'm not too high and mighty to think that either one is necessarily correct. I think we all know what we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, just to hear it pronounced the North London Derby does uh, ring a little weird to my ears just because I've never even heard that pronunciation now that I think of it. You know, you don't hear Americans say that too often, so... Jesse, um, changing lives one day at a time. <laughs> you know, a little bit, little by little. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's hard. Like I said, it's hard to fault Spurs other than going back in time and just being upset all over again at the Brighton-Bradford matches. Um, you know, we put ourselves in the situation. I don't know if I'm quite as optimistic as Jesse that I just think we're going to steamroll the last three games because I still think Burnley could give us some, some trouble. Norwich, I hope not. Um, but Burnley's going to be playing for something. They obviously defend deep. That's the kind of team we have a lot of trouble breaking down. Uh, we can hope that Everton and Newcastle, who have both been playing better, can just help us out there. I, uh, I feel like Everton at least always felt kind of like a brotherly club to us because they've been like the, the little brother in Liverpool and for much of Spurs Arsenal, uh, and especially then when you look at Spurs and uh, Chelsea and some of the other London teams. We haven't been the, the littlest brother, not quite like Mets, Yankees, or uh, Everton, Liverpool. But there's a little bit of that dichotomy there as well. So um, hopefully some other teams will take points off of Arsenal. We take care of business. I'm not super optimistic about it, but I think I'm still about the same as I was last time. Like a 60-40, probably Arsenal takes it overall of the four points. So we'll, we'll, you can get, we can get to the results of the Arsenal match here later in the pod. But for now, that's, that's my prediction for the season still. Well, we, we talked about on episode five the implications of the relegation battle. Um, because we still have to play Burnley, who are currently 17th. They are tied on points with Leeds at 34. Everton is 16th with 35 points, but they also have a game in hand. So in theory, 
assuming Everton handle their business, they should be safe by match week 38. Um, but we also just don't know what's going to happen. So we do know that Burnley is probably going to need three points to save themselves against us on Sunday. So uh, for what it's worth, I, I do think that might play into our favor just because them sitting back and hoping for a point is not going to help them stay yeah, up. That's true. Um, Kim, let's say for argument's sake, we finish fifth and we don't get top four. Is everything over? Is it big doom and gloom? Is that the end of the world? How are we feeling about finish the possibility of finishing fifth? So I think if we finish fifth, I might've felt differently about this when we started the pod, but um, like started the pod a few weeks ago. Um, but I don't like it. It does suck because you don't get the ability to go after people because you're saying like, I'm in the champions league. And that's one thing that Spurs need to use as a selling tool like champions league for spurs matters more than it does to arsenal matters more than it does to united than to well city and liverpool obviously will get it but it matters more to us than it does to chelsea to chelsea to united or um or arsenal they seem to be able to sign players that like they can sign martin odegaard we couldn't sign martin odegaard at spurs if we didn't make champions league like that would be one of those things that we'd need to sign that kind of player. So um, to me, not getting it next year is not the end of the world, but it does sort of change the, the recruiting pool that we can go after. I don't think it gets Conte to leave. Um, to me, I don't know, maybe because things have been kind of hunky-dory lately. It just, it just doesn't feel like at the end of the season, he's just going to be like, no, I'm leaving. Um, he seems to like, even the players that he has on his team right now, um, obviously we can be a, we can have more talent in certain positions, um, but I just think it's not it's not going to be the end of the world. I don't think of, think of it as doom doom and gloom, and uh, we just move on. Yeah, and I'm with you, Kim. I think obviously we want fourth, but fifth isn't the end of it because we got Romero without having Champions League this year, and you know over the summer we we got obviously a couple guys at uh, at the middle of the year. Um, that we're playing Champions League football, I believe, at the beginning of the season for Juventus to come over. I mean, like, this isn't the end of it. We're, we're not going after, like, Erling Holland is not coming to a club that doesn't have Champions League. Guess what? Spoiler alert, we're never in for Holland. We're never going to be in for those top, top guys. We're going to be in for the 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 dream levy signing of these Kulu, Bentinker, Romero types, guys that have proved that they're very good but also are pretty young or are not quite proven that they're good, but have potential and are young. Obviously that can be bad. That can turn out like Los Celso. That can turn out like a Nobelli, but they're the people that we're going after are not the 28, 29 year old guys towards the end of their, you know, peaks that are, I have to play champions league right away. I think Conte is going to try and push for one or two of those guys. So that could be a bit of a challenge with some of those who might say, Hey, look, I'm getting older. I only got a couple of champions leagues left. I want that to be it, but I don't think it's going to hurt as bad as as uh, uh, media reports make you think that it that it might want to. So what I'm hearing for the too long didn't read version is let Paratici cook. I think that's what you're saying. Yes. All right. Um, I yeah I don't know. I I was very worried that if we didn't finish top four that that would be uh, Conte walking out the door. I don't know if I feel that down about it anymore i mean i would feel very down about him walking out the door i just i just don't know that it's going to be the difference maker that i once thought it was 
Um, maybe that's my own naivete, but I, no, I think, of- I think, sorry, I was just gonna, I think you're right though. It's more of a directional thing. Like, I think that if we had been on a low, like just downward yeah. trending for a while that even if it was closer, I think that he'd be, he seems happier just overall. I, he seems a bit of a emotional bloke in general, but he seems happier over the past few weeks than he, I mean, even the Brentford and Brighton reactions, I feel like weren't quite as bad as what were the, what were the really weird ones back a couple months ago where he just, he was sound like he was ready to Burn, quit on the spot. Burnley Wolves, the first time when we Wolves, like lost Burnley, 3-0. Southampton. Wolves, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was up there in, in those, you just saw like the pendulum swing for his emotions when um, results went down. And I think he's, he looks at it now, like we're, we're down players right now. We're down skip. We're down. Yeah. I th- like, I think it's that both stuff the team matters. Yeah. I think it's both the team trajectory. And then, I mean, let's be honest, it's about what Le- Levy's going to do for him. <laughs> it's about what he's going to go get here and Parathachi. What, what are they going to do this summer? I think that I don't remember which team it was, but they're, you know, he, he walked out on, I think it was Juventus uh, weeks before preseason began because they weren't giving him the players he needed. Like he, is not going to just make do like uh, Pochettino did. He's not going to try to persevere and play it, adapt his systems to the lack of talent that Levy gives him. He wants his players. And while he might not be getting the top class players, he wants experience. So Benton core might be a decent example. Kulisevsky do a degree. Cause I mean, even though he's young, he still had started some matches for Juventus. Um, I don't think that Conte is not going to want some of these unproven players coming from lower leagues, I guess, maybe like that Bergwijn type, uh, you know, that type purchase where they're going to need a year or two, even Sun coming over from Bundesliga. And to be honest, I mean, there's been a a few players that Chelsea have even bought um, that seem like they were locked on, like Timo Werner a few years ago just seemed unbeatable, you know. Um, Kai Havertz seemed like a really good prospect. It's, I'm curious to see, I mean, I'm not going to doubt him, but I, I am curious to see how Holland would actually come into the Premier League and play. He seems like he's physical, so maybe he'll fit, but Premier League's a whole different beast. And It is. It is. Yeah, we I mean, have seen many a player uh, do well in other leagues, and they come to England and right. they're huge flop. Lacelso was a great example for that one there, right? Conte seems to really understand that, though. He's talked about that a lot, about players that can't play in any other, you know, can't play in the Premier League, can play in every other league in the world, but they can't handle this one. I would say that's the one thing about Paratici is he seems to know when you just think about like he bought what four players this year, Emerson, Romero, Kulisevsky, and Bentoncourt. All four of those. And Emerson players, was for a different coach, different profile at the time, so it's well, hard to blame exactly. him for that one either. But but all four of those players actually play for Tottenham, and we're in a position where we're much better than we were last year, to be frank. Um, our style is more fun. We score more goals. Uh, since Conte has been here, we've let in probably the third less goals to probably city and, and, um, and man and city and Liverpool. So it's just like, though, like, I, it just seems like he has a good idea that the talent might not be what other people thought, or, you know, first those two that we bought in January were on the outs at Juventus. So he just seems to be able to look at a profile. And one thing that, I heard about him is that he doesn't just have one player that he goes after. He has a list of players that fit a profile and he runs down his list until he gets one. And so we may not always get what I think people might look at as the best player for that position, but they seem to fit the profile that the coach wants and that fits the team. And that's, that's why I feel a little more 
willing to say, let's see who we buy in the summer. Cause before it was just like, we had, we really didn't have any strategy. When you think about recruitment, it was like Pochettino wanted one player. If he didn't get that player, he was upset. Um, Conte seems to also be a, a little more willing to work through the system and kind of find a player that fits the profile as opposed to saying, we're going after this one player. We want to pay this amount and that's all we're going to do. Cause I think that was our problem with recruitment in the past is we would try to buy a player. It wouldn't go through. And there wouldn't be backups to who, you know, to that player to say, okay, keep going. Just try to find someone who is good, but also may not be that exact player that you were looking for. Well, I'll say this. If you had asked me at the beginning of this season, uh, what I thought would come out of this season after, uh, what was it? Three month search for a manager. Um, and a pretty mediocre performance last year. I mean, I, my assumption was that we'd probably finish sixth. Um, finishing fifth is not ideal at this point. I don't know if it's so much about finishing fifth, more so just the fact that I don't want to finish under Arsenal. Um, but like all things considered, this has been a more successful season than I would have assumed it was going to be at the beginning of the year. Um, but that said, Obviously, I, I want to finish above Arsenal just because I hate that team. But finishing fifth is probably not the end of the world. Um, I also think going to Europa League probably gives us a better chance at winning something. Um, we know that Conte is not much of a tournament coach, but I also think if we're able to buy some guys and we have a system in place where we can actually rotate, um, who knows what can happen in a tournament like that? We just saw West Ham get to the semifinal. Um, I also think for what it's worth, Arsenal will prob probably end up in the Europa League anyway, because I don't see them getting out of the group stage. So I don't know. It, it could definitely be worse. I would say our top four chances at this point are probably about 40 percent. Um, I'm hedging a little higher than maybe I should simply because I don't completely trust Arsenal to win their last two games. And all it takes is for them to draw one of them. And then it's complete mayhem for match week 38. Um, so, I mean, I, I still think it's a possibility. Obviously, we have to win on Thursday. But if we get those three points and it's a one-point deficit with two games to go, I mean, game on. I, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree ahead. with that. And, and I just wanted to uh, bring up from your own running order here, because you were alluding to it, but talking to Bra about bragging rights from the North London Derby. Um, that's one of the things that as an overseas Spurs fans, I always feel like I'm both uh, kind of jealous of that amount of like intensity in that rivalry, but also kind of glad that whenever we lose, like I can just kind of not listen to podcasts or do any, you know, like I don't have to search out that media and nobody else knows, you know, I'm just like a little in my own dark space for a little while. Then it's gone. <laughs> right. Whereas if you live over there, can you imagine just getting constantly like your balls busted by your coworkers and everything? Kids going Maybe, to school, all yeah, their mates I mean, yelling at complete them. Complete yeah. different thing. Yeah. So I like, I both am envious of it, but also at the same time, like whenever we lose, I'm, I'm glad I'm in a little bubble over here with uh, no North London football fans, you know? Well, is there anything, I mean, Jesse, you're, you're, you're the most uh, well-rounded sports fan of the, of the four of us, I think, um, in terms of your, your full profile. I really just watch football and, and, and basketball, but are, are there any American sports rivalries that even come close to the North London Derby? I mean, I think I'd have to, to really live out there to, to 
understand it as much from from that perspective for you know to the point that ben was making that like yeah it sucks and i might get a text or two from an arsenal fan that i'm friends with and i'll commiserate with you all and some other spurs fans but it's not like it's all consuming and, and all in your face as much for me um i think you know when you talk about some of the biggest ones i, I live in columbus um ohio my wife works for ohio state and um so ohio state michigan football is a pretty sizable one um, that's been largely one-sided in the, in the favor of Ohio State until this year for the last like 15 years or so. Um, that's up there. I think that uh, not the, the geographic um, uh, closeness, you know, I think from, from geography, this one, you know, has more of the, uh, the um, uh, UNC Duke basketball kind of similarities because they're both super close um, and both have, have had, had some success um you know like that that one comes to mind outside of that like yeah we talked about like Yankees Mets or Knicks Nets but those have never been like you know both good at the at the same time I think probably you'd have to go further back in in baseball history from like when the Giants the Dodgers and the Yankees were all playing and the same at the same time and and often competing in the World Series against each other um at their peaks in the in the 50s and 40s 50s and 60s um, so, yeah, it's one of the biggest, obviously, um, in the world, I think. And um, I think the proximity adds a different layer to it that um, not to say that it's it's bigger necessarily than than uh, El Clasico, but the proximity that changes some things that change that, that makes things a little bit more full of hate because your cousin might be a, an Arsenal fan. Um, you know, your mother could be an Arsenal fan, like those kind of things where that doesn't happen quite as much in the more popular American rivalries in, in different sports, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, those kinds of things. So it's up there. I think the proximity really, really adds to it, especially on the Spurs side of the thing where, you know, Spurs hang their hats on that they were in North London first um, and that Arsenal was in Woolwich or Woolwich, wherever that was, and, and kind of came into Spurs territory. So it's that's the, the proximity, you know, um, is what makes uh, what makes the hate, I think, even uh, even stronger. Yeah, wherever yeah, that I, was is correct because we we don't really even know where the hell Woolwich is, but Woolwich they, somewhere in South London. That's all I know. But uh, no, I I agree with Jesse one hundred and ten percent because that's exactly the the point is the proximity. We don't have the equivalent here. The closest thing we have is like you were saying. Now I guess you know Mets Yankees or like Sox Cubs, but the, they're in different leagues. It just there's not the same amount of. Uh, you know, there doesn't have nearly as much gravity to the games. It doesn't matter nearly as much. They're just some random major, you know, uh, regular season games in the middle of a 162 game season. If you have the Subway Series or a Crosstown World Series here, um, if you have D.C. and Baltimore, probably that would be close. Right. Um, I'm trying to even think like Angels, well, when you Dodgers. talk about proximity, what that makes me think about is Duke versus UNC. Yeah, well, that so I was gonna say college is the closest just because of that part of it, right? Is yeah, um, it, there's more fierceness to it, and then yeah, you can have colleges in small towns, and so that that little triangle there in um, in, but it's not uh, like you can't be Carolina. from UNC. Like, I think I think that's the biggest difference, right? Like these that's are colleges true, yeah. that people attend. There are local people that are fans people, of the schools. But people take their alma mater almost more seriously than we grew up to something. Probably, I don't know. There, there, there's something to be said for how that specific age range and that point in your life, how seriously some college kids take sports. That's one sure, thing they probably sure, don't yeah. have I mean, the, the, uh, the intensity of, of it. Just think about it. When you took Miami FSU at some point, that was like contentious. Like Right. College, I think, is the closest in terms of animosity between the fan bases to each other. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's, um, that is probably but, the closest we have. Is, is but proximity? Rivalries. There's just still not the same thing because, like, like Jesse was saying earlier, maybe New York when they had five or six teams at the same time. But I mean, we think about London having five or six teams in the Premier League. They've got like twenty teams in all the different leagues, right? I mean, there's like Queens at least. Park Rangers. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many teams. Like, I didn't know Brentford was in London. Watford is just outside of London. You know, like there's. The Bears are talking about moving to the suburbs. They'll be as far from Chicago as Watford is from London right now. You know what I mean? Like they, there's the, the the local geography of it changes everything. I mean, I think another major difference for American professional sports specifically is that like the rivalries don't seem to last for hundreds and hundreds of years. I mean, you have the Yankees and the Red Sox, um, but it also feels like even that rivalry is more contentious some years than it is in others. I do think the fiercest rivalries that we have here are typically in college sports. Um, even if you think about like, you know, Lakers versus Celtics, that was a big deal in the eighties when they play each other. Now it's not like the fans hate each other. It's not the same sort of contentious um, behavior that you'll see with Spurs and Arsenal fans. So I, I do think there is some difference, like the way that the British feel about their pro sports is kind of how Americans feel about their college teams. Um, but we don't, I don't think we typically have as much of an emotional connection. Well, part of it is what we were just talking about a, a, a couple episodes ago, right? Which is they have a much more deep rooted community feel to their right. teams, exactly. right? Which is, so they have that to their professional sports because that follows them their whole life. They don't have college sports that I, at least not for much of it, right? So I think, yeah, just that community tie that's deeper there. Whereas here, it's like I said, you really get that, that crash course in it when you're in college where you feel very strongly about your team for a little while and then potentially your alma mater for that long. But yeah, you just don't grow up in it the exact same way culturally. Well, as we look ahead to Thursday's North London Derby, um, we also want to make sure that you are interacting with us and speaking with us and, and telling us all of your thoughts, your dreams, your hopes for Thursday, and maybe even some others. Um, if you have other thoughts and dreams that you want to share with us, we might not reply to those, but we do want to hear your Spurs takes. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Khoisar Us Podcast. That's exactly what it sounds like, C-O-Y-S-R-U-S Podcast. Um, we can also be reached at Khoisar Us Podcast at gmail.com. And we have uh, a tweet that's up right now that says, drop your favorite North London Derby gif or moment. I don't know if that's gif or jif. I always say gif because it sounds better. Jif reminds me of peanut butter. Um, yes. But Drop your favorite gift or moment in the replies. So we'd love to see some replies from you all that are listening um, and engage with us a little bit there. Before we go, uh, we do want to wrap up by giving a few predictions. And of course, because of uh, the congested schedule, which we cannot let Arsenal ever forget that they canceled, they postponed the game against us because they didn't want to play us which is the only reason we're playing them on Thursday. We, we, this game should have been over a long time ago. Um, so I really think if we win this game, I mean, if nothing else, we'll have the bragging rights and the embarrassment of them postponing a game just to lose it a few months later. But with that said, we are going to do some match predictions for both the Arsenal and the Burnley match. If you can stand it, we're going to try to do that. So bear with us. Kim, we're going to start with you. Am I giving both results at the same time? Is that how we want to do it? Or are we doing Arsenal and then coming back and doing Burnley? Let's, uh, let's do them both. Okay, so I'm going to go for 3-1 versus Arsenal. 
Um, I don't think they're that good of a defensive team. I just feel like they press high. That's their thing. And if you can get past the press, and that's what they did to, to um, who they play, Leeds. They just pressed them high, and Leeds made mistakes. Um, I think pressing us high doesn't really – to me, it's not going to lead to us making that many mistakes. Played really well out of the back against Liverpool. I was yeah, impressed. and that's the thing. If you can, do I it hate that strategy Liverpool, for the record, but it seemed to have. But worked. if you can do it, if you can do it against Liverpool, you can kind of do it against anybody because they're the team that presses and counter presses you to death. Um, and for me, we I think we can play a little bit around Arsenal. Um, so I think we probably score three. I think they get one in just because they have some guys that are good on the edge of the box. And that's kind of where we leave um, guys to shoot. So if you watch the game against Liverpool, um, which I hope most of you guys did um, that are listening, um, a lot of their shots were shots right at the top of the box, right outside the box. They weren't getting that many off in the box. So you know, like Odegaard has like a nice, I don't know, what is it? His right foot. I don't know what he shoots on. I don't watch him that much, but what I know about him is he's pretty good on the edge of the box. You give them some, you give him some space. He can probably make something happen. Um, so I think they do get one. And then for Burnley, I went two nil just because like you said, I think Burnley is going to have to come at us. Um, I think we can do enough defensively, but then I also think um, they're going to leave spaces for us to get him in, in behind. So um that one could be more than two nil because we've there have been times where we've just literally torn Burnley apart, but I'll go for two um, in this one. So two nil. I agree with most of what you're thinking there. Um, I think I'm just going to go, I'm going to go three, two uh, Spurs against Arsenal um, just because I, I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time. Anytime that this rivalry comes into play, it's always crazy. No matter what, I have a hard time not seeing it be a kind of back and forth affair whether there's actual goals scored or not, we'll see. But I think it's going to be really back and forth. Um, but I'm, I'm going 3-2 Spurs. And then I'm kind of with you on Burnley, too. I think it's almost like either a 1-0 Spurs or a 1-1 or, you know, Burnley smash and grab, or else it's like a 4-5-0 Spurs. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean – I'm going with Jesse's spirit animal here and go with a 4-0 Spurs uh, against Burnley. Love that. I'm going to keep it sort of, I guess, conservative anyway for me and, and just go 2-0, 2-0. Um, I think the defense is just absolutely stout right now. I think, obviously, Arsenal definitely has a lot of talent. Um, but I think, you know, I'm feeling very confident. We just shut down. Um, you know, no one's going to argue that Arsenal has a better attack than, uh, than Liverpool. And we just not shut that down. I say we'd shut it down, not shut it out. But we shut it down, given that they only had one um, one goal and it was off of a off. Of, an unfortunate deflection. Um, so I think uh, I think two O Spurs um, and Sonny gets at least one of them against Arsenal, and then I think two O Burnley um, as well. I think that they they look kind of the better team early on as they they're fighting for uh, to to stave off rele- relegation. I think we get one um, early off of a counterattack somewhat early, and then uh, and then put the other one away earlier. So two O two O to head into match week uh, thirty eight with a chance. Arsenal absolutely played us off the pitch when we played them in September. That was a Nuno team that was not very good, and Arsenal were definitely better than us at the time. I'm not convinced that they have a better team than us right now. Um, I think we'll have the advantage of playing at home. I also think we'll have the advantage of playing from behind, which, as you know, we <laughs> we always seem to like 
choke the most when we have everything in our grasp. I think the fact that we need the points um, is going to give us a little extra edge. I think the fans are going to be absolutely bonkers on Thursday. Um, and I think we're going to beat them 2-0. Um, I, I see us really bossing the game, honestly. With that said, I think the Burnley match will be a little bit trickier. I still think we win the game, um, but I think it'll be a little bit more of a slog. Um, Burnley's going to try to score because they're going to need to. But I, you know, I don't think they can completely abandon who they are. So I, I do imagine they'll probably play a significant amount of the game defensively and then maybe try to nick a goal in the last 35, 40 minutes. Um, I still think that we are a little bit susceptible to the odd, the odd set piece, um, you know, missing opportunities to defend that back post continues to happen i'm not sure how that continues to happen it happened again against liverpool that luckily you know i think they had a a a pass that that was overshot and it ended up going out of bounds but with that said i'm gonna say they do end up nicking something lucky um but we still win the game 2-1 i recognize that before we go we didn't get a chance to talk quickly about um our favorite north london derby moment so before we wrap up we can do a quick round robin here. Um, Jesse, if you, if you want to start us off, I think you've been watching Spurs for some time now. So is there anything that jumps out or comes to mind? Yeah. I mean, I, the, the Kane mask game, unfortunate draw after being up, uh, up a man, but that was to put Spurs ahead two one, I think around like the 70th. And then um, we were not able to, uh, to see out the victory, but that was a, a notable one for me. Unfortunately, last year's uh, visit to uh, to the Emirates, that Rabona goal, which I think was the, the goal of the year. Um, but uh, but they, you know, gave up two to, to lose that one. So those are some of the, the more notable ones for me. I think, you know, a couple of those are, are individual performances. But um, I want to say the last year in the lane, I, want, I thought we won two zero. Um, against them. And, and that was an impressive run. I mean, I felt like it was, you know, I, I kind of came about in the first few years, it was like, oh, Arsenal hadn't hadn't finished ahead of Tottenham um, or Tottenham hadn't finished ahead of Arsenal in 20 something years. And so not having as much of that weight, but then seeing like, okay, we're, we're, we're as good as them. And now we're level and now we're better than them. Um, you know, over the last handful of years, I guess that that first year, if, if not for a specific game, that first year the Spurs finished ahead of Arsenal and broke that streak, which I want to say was 16 or 17, um, was, a uh, was a pretty special, uh, was a pretty special moment. Love that mask goal. Every time I watch it, I still yell like it's the first time I'm seeing it. Um, also want to make note of that little cheeky deli alley back heel flick to get Kane open or as open as you can be from that sort of distance. It kind of reminds me of, of, of the flick he had for the Lucas Moore third goal um, in Amsterdam. Um, Deli Alley was such a player, man. Um, that was a bummer. Like that, that also gives me, you know, kind of fond memories of him. Cause there's, there's not another player that we've had on Spurs that would have made that same play. No, no. Um, and, and not that it was a, a, a specific necessarily set of skill. It was the mental aspect of it, of just like, I'm going to go chase this ball down. And then I'm just going to just flick it back in and see what happens. Just it, it was when I think it was Mourinho's second game 
when he had that I'm falling down at the sideline and I'm going to yeah. get back into play. That was at West Ham. The same kind of play that, that Delhi, like I'm not going to like, you know, to dare is to do, uh, you know, emphasis or, or, or um, you know, in the flesh there of just like, this is, it's not over till it's over or it's the ball's not out till it's out. Let me try one more thing. And, and there's not another player that um, Spurs have had that, that would have made that kind of a play just again, mentally decided to do that. And it was so awesome. I would say the closest we have to that at this point is, is probably Kulishevsky. I mean, I've seen him do a little, some cheeky stuff. I mean, that, that little move he had against Liverpool was pretty impressive as well. Um, Ben, what are you thinking? You've been watching Spurs for, for, for a long time now. Uh, you, you even got to see some of the bail years. Yeah. It's uh, the one that pops to my head is uh, the introduction of Danny Rose to uh, Spurs fans where he just That's hit, a good one. That's a good one. A, a thunderbolt from 30, 35 yards. Uh, that was on his introduction. doesn't get any better than that. And then I, uh, I was looking it up because I couldn't even remember the rest of the game. So I think it wasn't that crazy of a game, but we had the Rose goal and then uh, Bale finished it off in 47th minute. So we won two, one. So a win with Danny Rose having that kind of uh, impact right off the bench. I just remember being super excited about him. And then it took a little, little while for him to come good all the way, but to, uh, you know, he was, he was one of my favorites back when under the poach years, the fullbacks were so important. Um, there was actually another game just a couple years after that, where, uh, Vandervaart scored first and then um uh there was a just a winning screamer by Kyle Walker so it was back in the the glory years of Pochettino's fullbacks getting it done Danny Rose man I'll, I'll always love Danny Rose I just I always yeah, I always same. had that 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 picture of him drinking the Heineken on the pitch in Amsterdam <laughs> this is yeah, one, of, one of my favorite Danny Rose memories yeah that's hilarious um, so I'll go next. And for me, you know, honestly, being a Spurs fan since 2018, it's been at the Emirates, it's been loss, draw, loss, loss. <laughs> um, at home, obviously, we do a little better. It's been uh draw, win-win. Um, so I honestly the one that stands out to me the most is the one that was actually in Project Restart. I have to go with the win, obviously, because talking about draws there was a 2-2 draw that I saw um it was actually I was watching with North Carolina Spurs in Raleigh um it's like in early September it was like Labor Day weekend I was down there that one I remember because I was at a new bar and um obviously it was like a 2-2 and that one we had scored that one was bad because we'd scored first we'd scored two goals and then they came back and scored two goals um but that was at Arsenal but the one at home um, during project restart that really stands out to me was like toby had like a, a header in like the 81st minute um and it didn't have there weren't any fans obviously in that in that game because it was in the middle of july of 2020 um right after you know everything had um pandemic and all that stuff but i just remember toby's reaction to scoring that goal and it was like it didn't matter if anyone was in the building he was like you know i have a winner at arsenal i mean not at arsenal but i have a winner in the north london derby and that was one of the early times where Sun was taking corners. And so um, I think we've now gotten used to Sun taking corners, putting in decent um, crosses and not really, I guess I didn't, honestly, I didn't realize that Sonny had that kind of foot on both sides to be able to put balls into the box until, you know, Erickson leaves. And um, I guess like LaCelso might've been hurt or something like that. Cause we were putting him on corners at some point um, that they just were like, okay, let's give Sonny a run. 
And since then, he's kind of he's had a few goals now um, that he's created from from his crosses. So to me, it was one of those first times where I was like, oh, Sonny can actually put a nice ball into the box on both his right and his left foot. Um, so that's the one that stands out to me. And hopefully this week is one that stands out. I'm hoping for. Kane is going to score. Mark it. Heard it here first. You heard it here first. Kane is going well, to said, score. I said 3-1, so that means we need two Sunny goals and one Kane goal. So Sunny can be tied with Mo Salah for the goal. I like it. I like it too. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Quiz, 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 qu